Hello and thank you once again for joining us here on Prophecy Update. Our host, Bill Solace, will be continuing his discussion with Nathan Jones of Lamb Lion Ministries, the technologies that they are using for uh, evangelism of the world and how that technology fits into end-time prophecies. Let's join Bill and Nathan as they get right to this discussion once again. mentioned earlier, Bill, technology. Uh, you know, I, I just came across my desk today. Uh, you talked about uh, technology in times, and we also just talked about natural disasters. Well, there's been severe flooding in Thailand. And did you know that Thailand makes 65% of the hard drive and hard drive components that are manufactured in the world? That we buy hard drive pieces come from Thailand. Well, Thailand's had so much flooding that there's a huge... Um, a deficit, a huge lack of hard drive equipment out there, which is really affecting the technological world right now. People are scrambling for hard drives. The prices are going up. Those are two of the things that kind of clash. You know, you put technology and weather together. They don't do well together. And uh, the biggest one, I would say, which uh, many Christians call the super sign, is that Israel would become a nation once again. That happened in 1948. And particularly, that Jerusalem would be a heavy stone for all the people. It would... The whole world would focus on Jerusalem, as Zechariah 12, 1 through 3 tells us, and it's happening today. The whole world is focused on Jerusalem. So those are the six main categories of signs. There's many other signs as well, but those, if you want to categorize them, those are the six main ones. Well, and, you know, it's, it's important that you bring out that broader overview and perspective of the signs covering all the way from nature to society to the spiritual signs and the political signs and the super sign, of course, the elephant in the room, Israel. Um, because, you know, in the world, but in America specifically, we get so wrapped up on our own problems and our economic woes and will we, will we have a recovery? Will things ever get back to normalcy? Will we get good leadership in the upcoming elections? All these sort of things. It seems like you turn on any news channel now and it's dominated by politics and the Republican debates and so on and so forth. It's good to remember that there's more than just a political science here, folks. All these things Nathan is talking about are going on, indicating that the return of Jesus Christ is very near. And when you talk about Israel, I think that would be the super sign. And, and Israel was restored as a nation in 1948, 63, almost 64 years ago now. And it is facing some of the most threatening times in its history since becoming a nation in 1948 as a result of the Iranian push to get a nuclear weapon, as a result of the Arab Spring, the uncertainties, the regime changes that are going on there, like in Egypt and, and Syria to their, their northeastern border there. Um, what, what are you seeing with regard to Israel and the types of signs that are going on over there? Are you, are you thinking something is about to, will, will 2012 be a year of reckoning in the Middle East? What, what are you thinking, Nathan? Well, if I might digress, uh, Tim LaHaye uh, called our ministry this week, and uh, he was had something funny to say. He, uh, he said the rapture will not happen in 2012. We're all like, really? Why is that? Because those darn Mayans and their calendar, they predicted 2012, so the rapture can't happen in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he laughed. He was joking. 
but uh, you know, mankind continues, like uh, Harold Camping and all these other guys, to to, to set the date of when the world will end. Uh, not even Jesus comes, just when the world will end. And the Lord has made it very clear that He will come when people least expect it. He kind of compares Himself to a thief. You know, the the homeowner. The thief doesn't announce when he's come. He sneaks in so that nobody's ready for him. And the Lord says when he returns for his church, he will be sneaking in. But behind all these world politics and these world pressures, we must remember Ephesians 6.12, where it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's what's going on behind the scenes. What we are experiencing through all these signs like natural disasters and wars and spiritual oppression and apostasy is that there is a war between God and Satan going on. And Satan's forces are, it appears at this time, winning. But the Lord will allow that until his return so he can eventually destroy all of them. And in the center of that battle is Israel, and and particularly Jerusalem, because God has made promises to Israel that at the end of this seven-year tribulation that will be coming upon the world, a remnant of Israel will turn to the Lord, and turn to Jesus as their Messiah and accept him as Savior. And the Lord has promised that during the thousand years, that millennial kingdom that where Jesus will reign on earth, that they will be a special priesthood of people throughout the planet. And Satan does not want that to happen. So his plans at this time is to eradicate the Jewish people. And we, see, we are seeing right now anti-Semitism on the rise, we're seeing all the nations of the world, including our own, the United States, uh, turning against Israel in the hopes of one day annihilating it with the satanic reason to get rid of it, to try to thwart God's plans. Well, Bill, you and I know that no one can thwart God's plans, so eventually Satan will lose. But right now we're at that peak where it looks like he's really starting to win. And it, it appears as though some wars could come forward that have been spoken about in the Bible. And... We see uh, a lot of the wars that people talk about now, and I know David Reagan does a study on this called the Nine Wars, uh, End Times Wars of the Bible, I think it's called. We've actually done that on the uh, radio program. And before I go on to my next question, I did want to also mention, when you talk about 2012 and the Mayan calendar, you folks did a Christ in Prophecy TV show, Dr. Reagan and you, and with Mark Hitchcock, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. I had an opportunity to watch that. And, and you can, the listeners, you can watch these programs through Lamb and Lion uh, on their ar- uh, video archives. And that was an outstanding program. Now, of course, Dr. Hitchcock wrote a book on 2012. Um, and his understanding from the biblical perspective of the errors of, you know, 2012 being the end of the world and things like that. Um, you guys had a, just an excellent discussion on that. And I'm going to invite the listeners to to see that and uh, so they can witness that. Now, with respect to these wars, a lot of people are concerned about Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Russian, Iranian, Turkey, Libya, etc. group of nine populations listed by Ezekiel that are going to invade Israel. And there's very, uh, uh, Joe Rosenberg and Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapels are, are very concerned that that, uh, that could happen very soon, and rightfully so, because the, we're looking at Iran uh, f- marching ahead to get a nuclear weapon. Russia and Iran have never been closer as far as nations and their relationships together. Turkey's upset with Israel. Um, so we're watching for that. And then there's the Arab-Israeli war probably in Psalm 83 that we're watching for. 
uh, the destruction of Damascus in Isaiah 17 says Damascus will cease to be a city, will become a ruinous heap. Nathan, do you believe that the world could wake up one morning and we could see these things start to happen soon and sequentially? Oh, most definitely, Bill. I believe that the players for many of these Middle Eastern uh, wars, the Bible prophecy predicts is coming right along. Uh, we are, I mean, just in the last two years, we've seen Turkey, which is supposed to have been almost uh, secular in their views, which to become more fundamentalist Islamic, get rid of their ties to Israel and make ties with Iran and Syria, which the Bible says that Turkey is one of the, of the nations that comprise Turkey in Ezekiel 38 and 39 would form a coalition. We're seeing Russia pulling the puppet strings behind Iran and stopping all our embargoes that it was we as the Western nations attempt to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, that Russia and China keep thwarting us on that because Russia has a interest in the Middle East. You're sending warships down to Syria, basically challenging us to say, hey, you stay out of this, let Syria handle its own problems, because we sell arms to Syria. It's well known to that. So that Russia and Iran and uh, Turkey are all united, that the stands uh, are just filled with al-Qaeda and other terrorist organizations. And then, which was a big question, is, well, what do, what do we do about when you read Ezekiel 38 39? deal with uh, Egypt and Libya, which seem to be at peace with Israel. Well, you know, the Arab Spring ended that, and now Egypt is totally in the grasp of Sharia, and uh, it's very tumultuous right now. There's a lot of talk coming out of the Egyptian government, or what tatters that remain of it, is that they're going to get rid of the peace treaty with Israel. We saw um, Gaddafi fall, so more of a, uh, I guess you could say, a Sharia-loving Islamic Brotherhood that wants to take over uh, Libya as well. So all these nations that God predicted and gave through Ezekiel are starting to form this coalition. Now, of course, when we read Ezekiel 38 and 39, all the adjoining nations to Israel aren't listed. So we assume that there must be another prophecy that happens before Ezekiel 38 and 39. And Bill, I think you've taught that very well and brought that out to the limelight as Psalm 83, that Israel at some point will have to uh, subdue for hostile Arab neighbors. I mean, terrorists run Gaza. Terrorists, the Hezbollah runs Lebanon. We're seeing Assad fall in Syria and all these in Egypt and all these nations that surround Israel. Israel is going to have to deal with because they're always a trigger pull away from, from all out war. But before that, and it might be part of this, but it might be before that, as I, uh, like you said, Isaiah 17, where it talks about Damascus being destroyed in one day by Israel, utter annihilation overnight. Uh, it's the oldest city in the world, 1.67 million people living there, and it goes all the way back to Noah's son Shem's time. I mean, it's that old, but the Bible says it will cease to be a city no longer, but be a heap of ruins. I think we're seeing that come closer, because a lot of the, the arms trade, a lot of the disaster, uh, things that could be disastrous to Israel seem to go through Damascus. And if Israel feels that its back is against the wall, it would attack Damascus to make its enemies. Uh, go away. Matter of fact, <clears throat> if I have a moment, uh, uh, former Prime Israeli Prime Minister Ian Umert had reiterated that point back in August of 2008. He said they would not hold back in the face of renewed tax if Northern Israel was attacked, that they would use the ultimate uh, weapon against them to keep the hostilities at bay. Because Israel knows that every city in their country could be attacked by missiles now. Missiles can reach Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and all that. So all this stuff is coming together. Now, you would ask, Bill, will the church be there for that? I don't think the church will be there for Ezekiel 38 and 39. There's a fundamental shift from 
the church to Israel, and God is made known to the world through that battle. And to me, that seems an after-rapture, a post-rapture event. In Psalm 83, Isaiah 17, we might very well be here to watch that. Well, and I concur with you on everything you said with respect to um, uh, even the thoughts of will the church be here to experience um, Ezekiel 38 and 39. First of all, every one of those events, prophetic events you just you just talked about, Isaiah 17, Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, are they will adversely affect the world at large. And in a time when economies are on the verge of collapsing, the last thing we need is to see these types of game-changing events happen in the Middle East from a secular perspective. Of course, as a Christian, we realize that the the urgency of the hour to get the message out that God's in control, he foretold these events, and they point to the fact of Jesus' soon return. But these are game-changing events. And I, for one, I think there are arguments that uh, voice well for there being a pre-tribulation rapture, a pre-tribulation Isaiah 17, a pre-tribulation Psalm 83, and a pre-tribulation Ezekiel 38. Tribulation, of course, being that seven-year period, Daniel's 70th week, where uh, the judgments of God are, are executed, the wrath of God is poured out on sinful humanity, Christ rejecting humanity. Um, we are talking about events that you know, are in the news right now. We are, you know, when you talk about the signs of Christ's return and you did the broad overview with the signs of nature and society and things like that and concluded with the super sign of Israel, now the topic has shifted to some very specific things that we are watching in the news right now that are undeniable, that, you know, should, should encourage people to realize that you know, we could very well be on the at the at the very end of the timeline with respects to these things. So, um, what with that said, you talk about the you don't think the church might be here for Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine, and the only way the church wouldn't be here for that would be if they were raptured out prior. And so, I want to spend a little bit of time, and this is actually one of your third. Uh, Bible Prophecy Insights, the third one you've done on the rapture. And, you know, folks, Jesus is going to come in the twinkling of an eye, and he's going to whisk us away, catch us up into the clouds to be in heaven forever with him. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those are those who died believing in Jesus that have, as the Bible says, fallen asleep presently. And then there will be a generation that will be alive and remains that is caught up to be in the clouds with Jesus forever. We will be united. And that is the way of escape. Um, and, but, you know, Nathan, let's talk about the rapture and that, that Bible prophecy snippet that you've done. Because, you know, if, if, I'm, if I wasn't a believer and someone came on the air and said, Jesus is the Savior, and by the way, He's going to come like at any moment and take all the Christians out of here, poof them up in the clouds. It sounds like an episode out of the Twilight Zone. And yet, you know, Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, showing that he has the ability to do that. And and, and it says in Romans 10 that we, we know we're saved if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So there's the power there. It took away the sting of death. Nathan, talk about the rapture, because I know it's one of the most passionate parts of your evangelism and your ministry, and to the point where you were motivated to do an excellent video 
So take some time to talk about the believability of the rapture, the nearness of the rapture, and what that event is about. Like you said, Bill, a lot of Christians just don't believe in the rapture. It, it sounds too weird. It's supernatural. Uh, sure, you can read the Bible and read Jesus did this miracle and that miracle, but an actual miracle happening in our lives, well, that can't possibly happen. And so people just kind of blow the rapture off. Or they'll, they'll even say, well, gee, you can't even find the word rapture in the Bible. Where do you get rapture? Well, <clears throat> all you have to do to find rapture is go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And that reads, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, again, the word rapture is not in there, but the word caught up is. Now, if you go back in the Bible to uh, the Greek, which was the, that uh, First Thessalonians was written in, you've got caught up means harpezo. And harpezo, when the Bible was tra- translated into Latin, was rapio. So the Englishized version of rapio was rapture. So instead of saying uh, the caught up, which First Thessalonians 4.17 says, or the great snatching away, or the great beam me up, or <laughs> something, it's easier just to say the rapture, and that's where you find the rapture. And it's a very well-attested uh, subject in the Bible. You can find it in John 14.1 through 4, 21.36, 1 Corinthians 15.50-58, uh, like I said, First Thessalonians 4, and 13 through 17, and I even think there's hints of it in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 26, 19 through 21, and Malachi 3, 17. There are clear talk in the Bible, especially by the Lord, that we need to be ready, that he's coming. And if, we, if we knew when Jesus come, which the people at the end of the seven-year tribulation, don't know when he comes, because it's exactly seven years, 30-day months, based on that. It, over and over in the scriptures, the Lord says, be ready, Matthew 24, 44. Be on the alert, Matthew 24, 42. Be dressed in readiness, Luke 12, 35. And keep your lamps alight. It's all that idea that we have to anticipate that Jesus could come any moment. So we're not talking about the second coming when Jesus will return and comes to earth and defeats his enemies, but that the church will be taken out of this earth to meet the Lord up in the clouds and to not have to endure the tribulation. And there's a lot of verses that talk about that, Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive with any words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Well, the church is obedient, so God's wrath will not come on the church. Uh, Romans 5, 9, we've been justified by his Lord. How much shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And there's lots of other verses, particularly uh, Revelation 3, 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So the church is promised by the Lord be removed from this world before his tribulation, before he pours out those 21 judgments on the planet. And as a church, this is our hope. Titus 2.13 says, Look for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or 1 Peter 1.13, Fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he appears, our hope will be fulfilled, and that is the rapture of the church. Yes, and... What it says as it concludes in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18, where you talk about, you, you were quoting that, and it talks about the rapture. It says in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And in the midst of what we're talking about, the, the signs that are happening in the world uh, that, that are talking about the, the, the natural disasters and, and the stuff that could go on in the Middle East, the threatening events that are coming upon the world, the world economy is collapsing. What more comforting 
than telling one another that Jesus is going to come at any moment for those who believe in Christ, that are born again, that have put their faith in him to escape the wrath that is to come. What more comforting could there be? Amen. And so let's let's conclude the program, Nathan, by talking about, you know, what is the prerequisite to being raptured it's getting to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is, that is what this is all about. This is, that is what all we've been pointing to is all about is, is having people to understand that, that Jesus is coming soon to whisk us away, to be with him together for the clouds. And then the wrath is going to follow. And that is going to be a terrible time amidst which your video points out so well that we have loved ones. We have friends, we have associates and neighbors that don't know Jesus right now, that are going to be left behind and experience the wrath. And that's that's the, the burning concern that we've got for these believers. So talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and, and getting to know him while we live on this earth. And, of course, the rapture is the ultimate reward, the ultimate reward for our faith. But how critical is it right now to, to consider Christ in one's life? He gave us signs to look out for, and those signs would increase in frequency and intensity the closer we got. And Bill, we are seeing a radical increase in frequency and intensity of these signs. We're seeing a radical ramp up of world politics surrounding Israel and anti-Semitism against the Jews that say that Israel is ready to go into the tribulation so that the Lord can winnow them and bring a remnant out that believes in the Savior. And the church isn't there for that. So therefore, the rapture is even sooner than that. It could be at any minute, any minute. And so why our ministry exists is uh, kind of think of it as recently a cruise ship went down off the coast of Italy. And you picture that uh, a worker, a cruise boat person, is desperately trying to grab as many people as they can and get them on that lifeboat to safety. And that's what I think our Bible prophecy ministries exist to do. We're here to try to grab as many as people as possible to bring them to the Lord, to, to have them give their lives to Jesus, accept him as the Son of God and Savior and repent of their sins, get them on that lifeboat, and get them out of here before the ship sinks. And the world is about to sink. The Bible tells us it's about to sink. But we have to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And he will, then we will then be called the church. We are part of the church, the body of believing body of Christ. And he will take us out of this earth and put us up in him with heaven. And meanwhile, then the wrath of God will befall the rest of the earth. And there is a silver lining to it, because the Bible says in Revelation that there will be multitudes, that more than you can count, that will come to know Jesus as their Savior. They'll have to endure the tribulation. And I don't know why anyone would want to put off accepting Jesus as Savior and have to wait to endure the 21 horrible judgments that are going to come during the tribulation. Yeah, it's not a time to play wait and see. At that time, it will be a highly unpopular choice, and it will probably come at the cost of a martyr's price. It'll be unpopular because the world will be swayed through, uh, according to the workings of Satan, with all signs, powers, and lying wonders in Second Thessalonians 2, with unrighteous deception to believe in the lie, whatever that is. And that will be what's popular at that time, not accepting Christ. Fortunately, like you point out, in Revelation 6 and in Revelation 7 and elsewhere, we find that many people will make that choice to accept Jesus Christ. But uh, again, unfortunately, it will be a costly decision, um, but they will certainly be blessed for that. Well, Nathan, if someone wants to receive Christ as their Savior, 
can they, do you have um, uh, an ability to teach them how to do that and show them how to do that on your website there at lamblion.com? We've made sure we put the gospel message pretty much with everything we've written and almost every video we've put on. And uh, it's, it's just a simple, simple message, really. It's, it's, you don't have to go through a long, complicated thing. If someone wants to give their life to the Lord and be saved, they just have to pray. No magic prayer. Just, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins my Savior. And Jesus promises that he will turn them into a new creation. He'll give them his Holy Spirit and we will walk in a relationship with Jesus the rest of our lives and throughout eternity. That's that's the good news. That's, <laughs> that's what gospel means, good news. And that's the good news, that Jesus has given us a way to be forgiven and stand before the Father one day in perfect relationship with him. And all we have to do, Jesus did all the work on the cross, all we have to do is accept that gift of salvation of Jesus dying on the cross in our place by asking for forgiveness of our sins and accepting Jesus as the Son of God and Savior. That's it. And it's the message of love. I mean, compare that to what the the Muslim believes is their ticket to Allah land, to heaven, and they've got to go do jihad and, and blow themselves up in the, in the name of Allah or whatever that would be, that the manifestation of their jihad. That's why that, we're told in John fifteen thirteen, greater love is no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life, the perfect person, sinless person, the Godhead for us in our place. And all we have to do is accept that. And when God sees us, he sees Jesus, and he sees us as pure before him. And that's what bridges the gap between God and us. Not works, not jihad. Uh, there's nothing you can do to get yourself to heaven. Nothing. Well, Jesus did all the work. We just have to accept that gift. Yes, and it says in Ephesians 2 that, um, I'm going to read it here in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. And this is the key point here, Nathan. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the key, isn't it? It's a gift. They have to receive it. They have to open it up. They have to, you know... uh, to receive the gift as uh, of their salvation. That's the, that's the key point. It's like being out in the middle of the ocean and you're swimming for your life. You have no boat or anything. You see a boat in the horizon. You wave and wave and you call that boat over and the captain of that boat throws a life preserver out to you. You're saved only if you grab a hold of that life preserver. A lot of people do that. Crazy enough, they push the life preserver away and say, do you have a square one or do you have a blue one or... Uh, you know, they want it on their own terms. But that is the only life preserver that that ship threw out. And if you don't grab it, you're going to drown. And that is what is salvation is. It saves us from our sin. It saves us from that punishment in hell. And we have to grab the life preserver, Jesus Christ. It's the only way to save us from dying. We don't have to make the life preserver. We have Thank to grab it. Brother. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Nathan... Well, again, it's been such an honor to have you on the program. I'm so excited about what Lamb and Lion is doing with those Bible prophecy insights. I want to invite the listeners to to going to your site to watch the Rapture video, to watch the Bible prophecy insights, to watch Christ and Prophecy TV, uh, to consider your partnership program offered there. And how can they do that? How can they reach you, Nathan, as we close here today? Everything goes through www.lamblion.com. You can remember our name because Jesus first came as a suffering lamb and he's coming back as a conquering lion. So lamblion.com. Outstanding. What a treat to have you on our program, Nathan. Keep up the good ministry work. Praise the Lord, Bill. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. 
That's all the time we have for this edition of Prophecy Update. Join us next time as Bill discusses with another prophecy expert how prophecy authenticates the sovereignty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Until then, keep looking up, for your redemption draws near.